재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. What time is it? What time is it? Well, if you've been following anything in U.S. media, you know that it's basically been inundated with coverage over Donald Trump and his run for the presidency. Uh, Most political analysts and even casual observers were kind of along the lines thinking this is a joke. This is just going to be funny. It's going to be like watching a, a train wreck in real life. Well, not too many people are laughing now and perhaps for some members of the Republican establishment, uh, some people may be crying right now. It does appear he is now the presumptive nominee. There are no other competitors in the lead up to their July national convention. However, the issue stands. Um, whether or not you feel he has a legitimate shot at actually winning the general election, he has a chance to become the leader of the free world. That will bring about some changes, not only to U.S. domestic policy, but also to foreign policy, if you take his words and comments over the past year at face value. We want to focus on his policy in terms of how he would deal with countries like South Korea, North Korea, maybe even the wider East Asia region. There have been some eye-raising comments. Uh, There have been some outlandish statements, and we're going to try to suss through all of this right now. Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51, or send us a Kakao Talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. Uh, joining us here in the studio, very pleased to have our two panelists. First, from Kyunghee University, political science professor, Thank you so much for joining us. Good to see you again, sir. Okay, thanks for having me. Also joining us from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, our good friend, law professor Hwang jong Professor Hwang, as always, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Henry. Professor Sa, this is, this is quite an, uh, a remarkable <laughs> uh, set of events right now. If you follow U.S. politics, this is just unprecedented. It is, it is just uh, something that is almost beyond belief as to the reality of Donald Trump becoming the Republican nom- nominee right. for the presidency. Now, he has a, a slogan called Make America Great Again. This is deemed to be this sort of uh, quasi-nationalistic, uh, very xenophobic, and uh, some would even say bordering on uh, fascist uh, type of um, thinking. Mm-hmm. What would you say right now as to to the extent that he has a firm set of beliefs, um, his um, foreign policy or his isolationist uh, uh, leanings? Well, I think uh, if we want to talk about the isolationist uh, stance by Donald Trump, I guess we'd better go back to the American history a little bit. Uh, I would say the tradition of isolationism in the United States had been long uh, uh, and uh, backed by the American people uh, for some uh, quite a time. Uh, as you can uh, uh, evidence, like, like I mean, the President George Washington's uh, farewell address in uh, his farewell speech, like uh, entangling alliances with none. 
So his famous speech about kind of warning against any intervention in the European matters, uh, that persisted for a long time. And like uh, even Dwight Eisenhower, uh, when he was leaving uh, the White House in 1960, he warned against the military-industrial complex. So it's kind of isolationist or kind of non-intervention tradition in the United States. Uh, It's not uh, something new at all. Uh, but if you think about uh, how it changed forever, you, uh, we should note that the Franklin Roosevelt uh, during the World War II changed it forever. And especially in terms of the Republican side, uh, Ronald Reagan uh, changed uh, through the uh, end of the uh, Cold War. So now uh, what you can find inside the GOP is a kind of competitions amongst some uh, different foreign policy wings like like, uh, as you mentioned, nationalism kind of wing is represented by Donald Trump and some uh, non-interventionist uh, side uh, represented by Rand Paul and traditional kind of internationalist uh, wing uh, represented by Jeb Bush. But as you know, uh, Rand Paul type of non-interventionism or Jeb Bush's type of internationalism uh, uh, has been rejected. Uh, in the time of during the time of the primary seasons, so now we have Donald Trump's nationalistic kind of approaches in terms of foreign policy, but it's not like it's kind of comprehensive and sort of overall or systematic changes in terms of American foreign policy. I would say it's kind of reactive or responsive uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, stances. Uh, against uh, some uh, free trade uh, feedpulls or kind of uh, burden-sharing issues. So it's not like a sort of blueprint for the whole new American foreign policy, American grand strategy. So I think we uh, should note that this kind of traditional uh, kind of isolationism is not something new, right. uh, but it's not uh, uh, comprehensive enough yet. Right. And as you uh, very rightly point out, this is kind of all very – the points you make are, of mm. course, very salient, and they are quite pertinent to what we're discussing. We're getting a broad overview before we get into the specifics of how he would deal with Korea. but. Mm. It's kind of all along the premise that uh, we're dealing with a serious thinker, right? This is we talk accusations of fascists, and I'm sure he's not picked up a copy of Mein Kampf and been been <laughs> um, inspired by it, or he reads uh, foreign policy magazine, <laughs> or or has even uh, legitimate advisors who have been, I suppose, very experienced in these type of um, policy advisory roles. So when we see him on the campaign trail and when he gives those stump speeches in front of tens of thousands of people, Professor Huang, how, you know, some people say, oh, is he trolling the American people? How much of this is actually reason, thought out process? He does seem to have a very, very accurate pulse on what the voters are angry about. And that deals with a lot of the stuff um, Professor Sala said with interventionism and free trade and all that. Exactly what is he saying that's fully formed opinions in your view or is it just kind of off the top of his head trying to rile up a crowd? Well, any time that uh, Trump tries to engage in a serious policy talk, I don't think he really tries. And 
you know, there's uh, you, you can look at any number of different issues, and he just has not shown the depth of thinking or you know the curiosity of any of the issues. You know, I, I, we can go through you know abortion, immigration, you know uh, the government finances, and all all the other stuff where Trump has literally made zero sense. Just you know, a lot of things he said, just the math didn't add up. And you know, I think when it comes to you know the U.S. troops in South Korea, same applies. I think he literally heard somebody saying that hey, South Korea only picks up about fifty percent of the co- operating cost in, in, in why not 100 percent yeah, why not 100 percent it's a I horrible mean, deal i'm a great deal yeah. maker i'm gonna uh, you know if, if not 100 percent i am going to get a better deal from south korea but you know if you actually go into the details you know the, uh, the top commander in the, uh, of the u.s troops in korea testified to the senate back in april he basically told the senators that hey it's actually cheaper to keep uh, u.s troops in korea where korean government picks up picks up half the tab if we bring those troops back home in the u.s u.s soil then u.s government has to pick up the 100%. So it's actually, you know, the, the, the Trump's uh, negotiating ploy doesn't really make much sense, for, at least from the you know, fiscal point of view. Right. You, you can maybe purchase a five-story building in Manhattan and maybe use some of these tactics, but that doesn't necessarily apply in the field of international diplomacy, right? Yeah, I, I just don't think that he has really thought through all the okay. issues that is involved in the things that he talks mm-hmm. about. Professor Sa, so one of the reasons, and I mentioned how maybe some of the members of the Republican establishment are crying right now is a lot of things he says and stands for right now are anathema to very traditional elements of the Republican Party, including the neoconservative wing. You mentioned Jeb Bush being more of that internationalist, uh, a more successful uh, competitor this time around, Michael Rubio, also very, very That's much right. a key part of that block. Mm-hmm. Now, he's got senators like uh, Lindsey Graham and John McCain of the of the uh, Republican Party, who are, of course, also of that mindset. If he is getting resistance from Congress, if he wants to initiate any of these things that he's been saying hypothetically as mm. president is it going to be simply a signing of his executive order pen or is uh, what what can he do right now well i mean that's i'm very glad that you has brought up the uh the question of congress uh, because i'm studying congress and sometimes we have some kind of misunderstanding that the american politics is only dominated by the president it is not simply true and of course the president in the united states is uh, as the us constitution says uh, the commander in chief and the sole organ of government in international relations as put uh, by uh, Justice Sutherland uh, back in the 1930s. Uh, that is true, and we have some examples of bad execution of executive orders, such as Japanese internment during the World War II, or some good things like the desegregation in the military, or don't ask, don't tell in the military. All those kind of executive orders uh, uh, have been existing. Uh, but, as you know, uh, President Obama had failed uh, to issue the executive order to close down the Gitmo. So it's not like a president can do anything with his executive order pen. Uh, but at the same time, we have some uh, Congresses that has done something crazy in the past. Like in 1882, U.S. Congress passed a law uh, banning the uh, Chinese uh, coming into the American soil, the, the famous, uh, the notorious Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882. Uh, but... But I mean, Professor Huang is an expert on this, but U.S. Constitution is uh, still saying that immigration, trade, and uh, um, uh, tax, and treaties are all in the territory of the U.S. Congress. Um, so uh, we have to uh, wait and see how 
uh, the U.S. Congress is going to respond to uh, uh, President Trump. President Trump, but as you mentioned. Uh, there is some kind of very huge division uh, within the GOP in terms of foreign policy. Um, so Lindsey Graham and others, John McCain has decided to skip the convention because he feels some kind of vulnerability when it comes to his own re-election in November. Uh, Which is mostly because of the Hispanic vote, not really. Hispanic vote is exactly right, right, right. right, yeah. right. The primary, is, uh, primary will be held in August. So up until then, I mean, uh, John McCain should be very careful uh, but uh, what is interesting here is, like, I mean, someone like Jeff Sessions, senator from Alabama, uh, he's known to be a kind of right-on person to uh, candidate Trump because he has uh, very early endorsed uh, Trump out of uh, the whole uh, right. Senate. But if you think about his state of Alabama, Alabama has a huge factory okay. uh, run by Hyundai. Right. Well, it's, it's a very salient point, and that's going to actually segue into what we're going to talk about, uh, how this would affect Korea. We're going to take a short break. We'll discuss that and much more. Stay tuned. You're listening to Primetime.